You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Well, you probably did not expect to come to church today and get to see a miracle. Got to give just a little bit of background on Anthony. Anthony and David began attending our church back in January, and they've been here every time. In July, we uh, renewed their vows. In August, in August, we renewed their vows. That Sunday, they placed their membership and were headed off on their 10th anniversary trip, only to have tragedy occur. And so we are so glad to see you walking. It's a delight to have you. We did not expect to see a miracle. Glad to have you. Now, you might have expected, you know, for sarcasm. In fact, you might, you might need a little humor, a little sarcasm today. Little, little known fact, uh, many people will tune in just to see which direction my hair goes on a given Sunday. No, no, that's not true. I'm going to provide for you today some, some real biblical sarcasm. More, more on that in a minute. In this space and in this time, we've been talking about fear and trust. In a time when lots and lots of fear overpowers us and overtakes us, we're wanting to attack that fear, attack that anxiety with bold faith, with trust. That's the kind of people that we want to be about. People that are aware of God's presence, certain of God's provision in our lives, and ready, ready for God's call upon our lives. And so we've been putting forward this idea of revering God and God alone. Whenever we worship and revere God, it tends to swallow up the fears that we have, consumes them, eats them. When we remember that Yahweh is our strength, like those midwives in chapter 1 of Exodus, who feared God, they didn't fear Pharaoh, and they were able to act accordingly. And so each week we've been exploring what it looks like to have this different kind of fear, a fear of God. As we've jumped in further and further and listened for that calling of God, to let God's call be much louder than those voices of insecurity in our lives. To cling to our knowledge of who God is, even as fear seems to be at its worst, and to be able to let God rule on the home field of our own hearts, Because we know that if we're not a people who worship, we're already dead. If we are not truly focused on the living God, we are already gone. And so today, today I want to provide something of another hack for our anxiety, for our fear, ways that we can approach this. And I want to do so through this great story of the Exodus. Exodus is exhausting. Have you felt this? This exhausting story of a group of people that were come to be in kind of a time of famine, of people who come from poverty into the protection of Pharaoh, the world power at the time, only to be forgotten and enslaved and taken for granted and used for what they can do in their labor, totally forgetting the agreement that had taken place with Jacob. And then enduring promises that feel like empty promises over and over again from Moses that God's going to deliver them. 
And then all these plagues that took who knows how long to take place. Ten of them. Maybe a year, maybe more for them to unfold. And finally, after all this exhausting journey, Pharaoh says, go. Go. Get out of here. Be gone. And in the story that we come to today, we find that this Pharaoh who finally said, go, go worship, leave us all alone, this Pharaoh changes his mind. I'm going to invite you to stand, if you are able, and listen to the reading of Scripture from Exodus chapter 15, and I'm going to start in verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the minds of Pharaoh and of his officials were changed toward the people. And they said, what have we done? Letting Israel leave our service. So he had his chariot made ready. He took his army with him. He took 600 picked chariots and all of the other chariots of Egypt with their officers over them. And then the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the Israelites who were going out boldly. The Egyptians pursued them and all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his chariot drivers and his army, and they overtook them, camped by the sea at Pi-Herhath in front of Baal-Zephron. As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back, and there were the Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to Yahweh the Lord, and they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing that we told you? Let us alone. Let us serve Pharaoh. For it is, would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to keep still. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is a wild story of a group of people trapped. Trapped by the Egyptians that they'd supposedly escaped from. Trapped up against a body of water. And it's in this story, this moment of being entrapped, that we get some of the best sarcasm in the Bible. Now, I kind of thought that I invented sarcasm when I was a teenager. You know, dishing out my sass to parents or teachers or little snide remarks. But clearly, I did not invent sarcasm. This came far before TikTok, far before any memes. This is in Scripture, where we get some of the best sarcastic lines that there are. So, in this, in this moment, when they're backed up against the water, they, they look at uh, Moses, and feeling all this trap, that's really not just a feeling, it's reality, they look at Moses and they say, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to die? You know, they've turned Moses into this funeral director, almost as if Pharaoh paid him some money and said, just get him out in the desert and bury him all out there. It's kind of a throwback to Pharaoh burying the Egyptian in the sand. Just go do that. Isn't it just like this group of people to question the leaders and to say, what are you doing? 
and to assume that Moses' intention and God's intention is to kill him, to kill him off. Now, it's, it's funny. It's funny what they say. It's funny how they say it in the midst of being trapped by this elite army. And you'd think it's just one one-liner of sarcasm. No, no, this is a comedy sketch. There's a second sarcastic statement. We told you, Moses, that we should have just stayed in Egypt because, and here comes the kicker, it would be better for us to live in Egypt as slaves than to die out here as free people. That's just funny. And I wonder, what's Moses supposed to say? If you're keeping track, he's kind of run out now. There are no more plagues that God has given him. There are no more signs of throwing down his staff to be done. There are no more direct words from God. It's at this point that Moses has gone past the directives. The orders of this military mission are silent, and he's supposed to say something. So what does a good leader do when everything is falling apart, when all things are collapsing in? Have you been there before? Well, let me tell you what some bad leaders do. Before we tell you what Moses did, bad leaders tend to blame. Point the finger at someone else, ah, to shrug their shoulders. Bad leaders want to quit, just run away, Throw in the towel. I've got nothing more to do here. I've tried. It's time for me just to give up and walk away. Bad leaders maybe even get full of their own self-importance and say, I'm the one who can fix this. I can do it. I know the answer. I know exactly the strategy that we need to take. Bad leaders start to kill to fire those people around them, to fire off fearful statements, and to begin to disagree and bicker. In fact, to form a little circle of smaller and smaller protection of just the people that agree with them, that see things as they see them. Or, some bad leaders thrive on conspiracy. Let me sow some seeds of disruption here and there. And we're familiar with this. In fact, uh, this is a little sidebar, but with all of the conspiracy things going on, I came across Isaiah chapter 8, verse 12. Th this passage is an interesting one. I don't know if you've read it in a long time, but Isaiah 8, 12 says this. Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. Don't fear what it fears or be in dread. But the Lord of hosts... Him you shall regard as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. How about that? If you want something to fear, fear God. Respect God. Be in awe of God. Don't be captivated by the things that other people are fearing and dreading and obsessed with. Well, that's how bad leaders act. Isaiah points us to maybe even a description of what Moses does, because Moses is a good leader. He doesn't pursue that path at all. Instead, he points to Yahweh being the strength. He points back to what these midwives pointed to. The fear of the Lord will be our strength in chapter 1, verse 17, and chapter 1, verse 21. At this watershed moment, when everything is kind of 
dried up. And when Moses himself can feel fear, feeling that lack of control, right? Those moments of fear don't have to be moments of terror because it's almost at those moments of fear when we're precisely at the point of reality. Do you know what I mean by this? When we really come to understand that we don't have it all together, that we are not in control, that we can't hold our ear a certain way or say a magic phrase and make things happen, we are surrendered at this moment to God. And in this moment, that's exactly what Moses does. He tells this group of people words that God hasn't given him to say but that are obvious. Don't fear. Stand firm and watch for the deliverance that God will provide to you. You see, here's the point. Here's the point I'm going to drive at for this entire sermon today. Our perspective is on what God does. That's what our perspective is. Our perspective is not on what Egypt does or what other voices we hear. We are not focused on those other voices, those, those other powers. We are focused in upon God, the fear of God, and not the fear of other powers. And so it's at that point that we can do what Moses says. We can release our fears. Don't be afraid. Be in awe of God. Whenever we, we go into battle, sometimes we will battle against what we think we see. In this case, it's Egypt. How are we going to attack and fight Egypt? And it might seem like this is taking a very passive stance to release that fear and take a deep breath and realize, I'm out of control. I must rely upon God. This is not passivity. This is not, oh, whatever happens, happens. This is active. To stay in that pinned position, trusting in God, is an active move. It's not apathetic. Apathy is almost the opposite of faith. In fact, it is. Where, ah, just whatever happens, happens. No. Standing firm is what Moses says. On the soil that God provides. If you're in one of those moments, you have to stand firm on that soil. There may be things in your life that are not in order. They're not in line with God. It's good to step away from those and get on some solid ground of what you know is of God, to be ready for what's coming. That's an active move. This standing firm is a choice to align with God. And then you expect God to show up, right? You watch for what God will do. You don't whine about things to the clerk that does you wrong. You don't go into a tirade on, on social media. In, in some ways, that's not really watching for God. That's not talking to God. That's talking to the air. Instead, turn that to God. Turn the frustration, turn the anxiety, turn the fear on God. You're not going to shock God. You're not going to surprise God that all of those things that you have bottled up you don't really have under control, you don't have good insight, trust God with them. And then, in verse 14, we can sit back and we can watch what God will do. Watch how he will answer what we've said. Now, again, the expectation is that 
God's going to fight against Egypt. I don't know exactly what people thought might happen. Maybe some magical weapons would appear. Maybe some magical things that would uh, keep them from uh, being overrun by these. But what we see is that Moses takes this prayer posture. Staff is raised. Arms are raised. Calling upon God. And a fiery cloud separates them for a time. And all night the wind blows in this Genesis-type moment of separating water from land, of making dry earth for the Israelites to walk through on dry ground, which they do. And Pharaoh and his armies follow. And all that high technology gets clogged in the sands in between where waters once stood. And they're stuck and they're trapped. And they see something that is amazing. Right? It's a powerful story. It's one that's been done in many movies. In fact, it's a story that will not be forgotten. We get all kinds of mentions of places in this, but you know what? We don't know where it took place. We don't know what sea. We don't know where these places are that are mentioned. In fact, the best scholars can only come up with three potential places where this happened. They can't narrow it down any better than those three. Isn't that astounding? The point is not the where. The point is not even the how of attributing this to natural causes. The point is that this is something that God has done. I mean, isn't it true of our lives where God tends to show up in unexpected times and places? We don't really know why. Maybe you don't even attribute it to God. Maybe it's fate, or maybe it's luck, or some kind of magic. Maybe things are aligned for you. Well, folks, I can tell you that if good comes your way, it's because of what God has done. And it's a time for us to give credit to and thank God and turn our attention and our focus in on God. There are times when we just can't explain it, and we know that it is God. With Egypt, they kind of got caught up in their own chaotic choices own choices of stubbornness of not wanting to worship this God. And we know what that's like. We sometimes make bad choices as well. When we get caught up in crime, when we get caught up in trying to steal for a living, we don't realize that we're really stealing from ourselves. That we're really raising everyone's insurance rates. We're really clogging up the court system with lots and lots of difficulties, and we think it's just an innocent crime that's take place, but it's not. It's one that slows things down. It's our choices that sometimes draw us into chaos. Sometimes this happens with school. Ah, I don't want school. I'm not going to study. I'm tired of this. I'm dropping out. I'm leaving. And we don't understand that that choice is going to be a choice in decreased earning power, decreased understanding and wisdom for how the world works. We just don't see it. In fact, right now, there's a lot of stuff going on in schools where you may or may not know this. Things are being stolen. And it's, it's kind of a cool thing. Like, let's shoot videos of it on TikTok. Let's steal something. And, you know, if you're going to steal, you know, the, the liner of a urinal, is that really all that exciting? I mean... But what that does is it makes school worse and worse for everyone else. You don't realize that if you continue to undermine and destroy what's going on around you, you make it worse, not just for somebody else, but for you. 
Our choices of chaos bring our society apart. And God calls us into a different level of fear, not a fear of being caught, but a fear and a respect of a real power, God's power. And with this power, the power of God, we can tell God whatever we want. And this is really what I want you to hear about our changed perspectives. You can come to God and say, God, this is the army I'm facing. You can cry out to God just like the Israelites did. And you can say to God, not just, here's the army I face, but God, what will you do about it? Does that seem too bold? Does that seem like something that's not allowed for us to do? No, this is what they do. In that moment of fear, in that moment of not having power and lacking control, they cry out and identify the army, and they ask God to show up. And God's glory will be revealed. I have to caution you. When we cry out in those moments, sometimes God's glory being revealed is not the answer we'd want. I mean, I don't, it could have just stuck, struck the Egyptians with a plague to where they died. God chose a little different means. Sometimes it's not in the glory of God for Grandpa to live one more year. Sometimes it's not going to glorify God for your friend that you love so dearly that's moving to another state. You won't be able to pray that one to change. There are things that we just can't change. Sometimes praying for the glory of God doesn't mean we get that marketing job that we want, and it takes not just hours, but weeks and sometimes decades to see what God will do. What we do in those moments is we stand in those grave moments with what feels like our own end, our own demise. We stand in that grave and we worship God. That's what the Israelites did in crying out. It might not have felt like worship, but they cried out there, and then they cried out in the last verse of chapter 14 where they worship and they bow down to Yahweh. That, that progress of faith is something I want in my life. I don't know about you, where the people of God go from terror and fear and uncertainty, questioning their leaders, all the way to worship and awe because of what God's doing. And don't forget that middle moment, that middle moment when Moses comes in in verse 13 and says, don't be afraid. Stand firm. Watch and see what God will do. He's going to do amazing things. So, if you find yourself as a teen trying to figure out how do I stand firm? How do I not be afraid? How do I watch for God's deliverance? It's difficult. It's difficult. We just take a teenage girl. I mean, in the last week we learned the Wall Street Journal did an inside report where Facebook has known for a very long time that using Instagram generates insecurity in young girls. More than 33%. Now, I don't know why we would have to, to limit that just to girls, right? Why do we have to limit that to, to kids or teens? That's true of all of us. If we live in these comparative worlds, it can drag us down. And we might think that the army is to be fought, like, okay, well, let's, let's fight that. Let's, uh, let's do more positive posts. Let's, let's, let's uh, be more positive in how we approach things. And that could be. It could be that we need to step away from that. 
How is that battle one that needs not to be fought? How do we build up one another? Maybe do something face to face to encourage rather than tear down. Maybe you're in a relationship with your spouse or your boss and it's difficult. And you might want to just run away from that relationship. Just escape it. And it could be that, that uh, maybe that's an abusive relationship where you're physically being abused or sexually being abused or verbally being abused. By all means, if you're in that kind of a situation, you need to get help and get away from it. No doubt. But sometimes, sometimes that's a relationship that we're ready to run from at the drop of a hat where it's just our own personal whim. We're not willing to stand in the gap with that spouse or with that boss, whatever that relationship is. Have we tried making a prayer list for that person? God's best and God's well-being for that person with whom we're having great difficulty. Have we tried that before? where our heart and our life began to focus in on praying for God to be glorified in their life. That kind of changes things. That shifts the dynamics of the relationship and maybe makes it to where we can stand firm. Again, I'll say it again, not an abusive situation, not in a way that you're being violated in any way. Those are relationships to leave. So don't hear me say, stand firm in that. No, get out. Leave Egypt. It could be. Maybe it's not a relationship. Maybe it's our own identity. Of trying to figure out where we're going to school or what our career is or, or why we're attracted to this person or what's going on with our own sexuality. And we just, we feel attacked like walls of water are around us and that armies are advancing upon us. Cry out to God identify those armies say them and call out to god asking god for your help folks what i've been driving at for this entire lesson today is that our perspective is set on what god does we don't worry about what other people say and do we are focused in on fear awe respect worship of god not upon Fear, awe, respect of the powers of Egypt or those voices that are in our heads. We fear God, not other powers. Let's pray. God, we're all in a different place. We're all fighting different armies, facing different waters. And so we call upon you, God. As those faces and those names come to mind, we just ask you, God, would you please show up? Would you please do what needs to be done? And would you help us to stand in whatever way we need to stand? If it's to stand and resist, if it's to walk through water, whatever it is that you tell us to do, help us to be watching and attentive to what you tell us. God, thank you for this group of people here at First who are devoted in following you. And we thank you that we can be people who have died with Christ, who've stood in that grave, who know what it's like to leave our lives behind and to step forward in the life that you give us. And so we pray that you will let Christ live in each one of us. We ask all this through your name, the name of your Son, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.